This Janet Mefford Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to persecuted Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible, $35 sends seven. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Well, thank you so much for joining us again. Ever since Eve decided that it was perfectly fine to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this world has never been the same. We are in a sinful and fallen world, kicked out of the Garden of Eden and rescued from that sin only through the grace and mercy of God through Jesus Christ. But if you think about it, man's fall into sin started with a woman believing a lie. The serpent telling Eve, you will surely not die if you eat that fruit, you will be like God. And we have been susceptible to believing lies ever since. The question is, what are some of the lies that we of the fairer sex tend to believe today? We're going to discuss it with Nancy DeMoss who first penned a book about it back in 2001, and now she has updated and expanded it. You hear Nancy on her two daily nationally syndicated radio programs, Revive Our Hearts and Seeking Him. She has touched the lives of millions of women through Revive Our Hearts and the True Woman Movement, calling them to heart revival and biblical womanhood. She's out with 19 books, including this updated Lies Women Believe and the Truth That Sets Them Free. And Nancy, it's wonderful to have you here. How are you? I'm doing well, Janet. Thank you. And um, wow, what a what a mess we can make when we don't believe God's word, right? Boy. So that's what your program's all about, and uh, just getting people back to truth. That really does set us free. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that ministry. Oh, well, it's wonderful to have you here. I think this is such an important subject to talk about. And I'm curious to ask you, when your book first came out, you were addressing the problem of soul sickness, as you called it in the book, among many women in the church. And I'm wondering what you observed at the time that concerns you about the soul sickness of some women in the church and how that landscape might have changed today since your book first came out. Well, first of all, I'm a woman myself, so I don't mean to be pointing fingers at others, uh, but I think we all know what it is to have a weariness of soul, to have confusion in our hearts over our calling and our roles and broken, dysfunctional relationships, um, dealing with up and down emotions about various things. I mean, we all have baggage, right? Right. Um, and not just women, by the way, men do as well, but I was looking as a woman at the women around me, hearing the stories they were pouring out about being overwhelmed with life or discouraged or depressed or resentful or struggling with forgiveness issues, just so many things of what Ecclesiastes says, you know, living life under the sun. Yes. And so that is what prompted me to go back to the book of Genesis and say, how did this all begin? How did we get here? And not just how did we get here, but more importantly, how can we be set free from the chains that um, believing lies about God, ourselves, and other things, the, the bondage that puts us into? So this was back in you know 2001 when I first wrote that book, never imagining what a chord it would strike with so many women now, over a million copies sold and in 26 languages that are going, what was it that I think it's the power of the truth 
that we realize it really can set us free. Well, now fast forward 17 years, and so many things have changed in our culture uh, since this book first came out. We didn't even have social media back then, Imagine and that's that. created a whole new set of, you know, advantages and opportunities, but also challenges, uh, sexual issues, uh, morality issues, gender confusion, identity issues. Um, you know, the devil is just still out there sowing his lies and seeds of deception, and it's too easy to believe them. So I just wanted to speak to a new generation of women. I wasn't married when I first wrote that book. I'm married now, so I'm processing um, some of these things in a different season of my life. And just wanted the opportunity to speak to a new generation of women about how we really can be set free from those lies. That's wonderful. Do you happen to think, Nancy, that women suffer from soul sickness in a different way than men tend to? Well, I can't speak for men, uh, but I know men and women are different. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that, and not different in every way, but we certainly have some of the same kinds of, I mean, we all have sin, sin issues, and complications caused by sin in our lives, Uh, but I think women are more often um, impacted by relational issues, relational challenges, um, emotional uh, connected issues, for better and for worse. Um, Men, oftentimes, they're Challenges, pride issues, sin issues may relate more to their work, um, to their sense of identity. And so, you know, any of that is generalizing. It's not true in every case. But women, um, you just look around. Uh, you know, when's the last time you were at dinner with some couples and heard a man say, stand up and say, I'm going to the restroom. Does anybody want to come with me? Um, but, Never. You know, <laughs> But you hear women say that. We've said that. Oh, yeah. So there is something um, in a nurturing, connecting, relating way that is a blessing for us as women, but also can be where we experience our deepest pain and our deepest um, sin challenges sometimes. For sure. So going back to Genesis chapter three, where we see the fall of Eve and Adam, who was her head, falling into sin and believing the lies of the enemy, What do you glean from that particular passage that really helps people understand the pattern of deception and why it is that lies can be so powerful? Well, they're so powerful because they're so deceptive. You know, the the scripture says that Eve, uh, and by the way, it says her husband was there with her. So that's another whole aspect of this. He wasn't uninvolved in this for sure. Um, But it says she looked at the tree and she saw that it was beautiful. It was appealing to the eyes. It was a tree to be desired, to make one wise. I mean, just think, Janet, if she had looked at that fruit and it had been, you know, bruised and rotten and crawling with worms, would she have been tempted to take a bite from it? Would she have been tempted to believe the serpent? Of course not. But the fact is it was beautiful. It was attractive. It was appealing. And it was just enough to allow the serpent to put doubts in her mind about what God had said. Did God say to you, you know, he's putting a question mark where God has put an exclamation point. God had said, don't eat the fruit of this tree. You can have everything else. Um, But he he makes it seem that God is limiting her joy, limiting her happiness. God had said, you can eat from all the trees in the garden except this one. And so what does Satan say? He says, has God said, 
that you can't eat from all the trees in the garden. He puts the emphasis on the restriction, on the limitation. And so when we think today about our Christian faith and about the scripture, uh, we're kind of, you know, hardwired to think, whether we're Christians or not, to think God's ways are restrictive. Um, maybe God's wanting to limit my happiness or you know, if I could just be free from God's commands, then I could really have a, you know, a fun life, a great life. So he causes us to doubt um, that God's word is true. And then we believe what we think about and dwell on. Then we act on what we believe. And ultimately, that's what leads us into a pathway of sin and the consequences of sin, which are so deadly, so damaging in a way we never imagined when we first bite into that fruit. That's very, very true. And it seems to be this dichotomy between what God says, which is objective. We can read in his word what he says. And Eve knew what he said versus what I want. But I want this. Isn't there a lot of that going on as well? But I want this. Or I think I want this, or I think this will make me happy. We wouldn't sin if we didn't think there was some benefit to be derived from it. True. And actually, Hebrews tells us that sin does have pleasures for a season, but we're not looking to the unintended consequences. And that's where, you know, I love programs like yours, Janet, where you're, you're challenging us to anchor our hearts, our lives, our behavior, our thinking, to anchor it in the objective word of God. And we're, we're, you know, the enemy wants us to believe that this is a way that will put us in prison. It will keep us from experiencing freedom. But we know just the opposite is true, that God has said, I'm reading in the book of Deuteronomy right now, and over and over again, God says, these laws are for your good. They're for your blessing. They're so you can live a complete and joyful life. And so your children can be blessed. We've got to believe what God says is true, even if we don't feel like it's true, even if the people around us think we're crazy. Um, we got to trust God's word first. We sure do. Well, we're going to come back with Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth, her book, Lies Women Believe. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. We'll return right after this. The Ministry of Preborn is dedicated to helping save preborn babies from abortion through ultrasound. And every day, preborn is on the front lines competing with Planned Parenthood for babies' lives. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn. Planned Parenthood, who generated recently over $190 million in net revenue, violated the terms of the payroll protection plan by taking over $80 million of COVID relief funds. Meanwhile, Preborn has received no government funding and many of our center's revenue is down. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and the direct competition to Planned Parenthood. Would you join Preborn in the cause for life? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, just call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Thank you. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. 
Programs start as low as $199 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now here's Janet. Welcome back to Janet Meffer today. We are so susceptible to the enemy's lies at times, and especially those of us who happen to be female, and we are the subject matter here, the ones who are being addressed in Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth's new edition of Lies Women Believe and the Truth That Sets Them Free. We were talking, Nancy, before the break about Eve and her temptation to sin and how that really is very explanatory when it comes to what a lot of women go through today. We believe that God's word really doesn't fulfill us enough or we we want sin. We think it'll make it better. It never makes it better. So let's talk about some of these lies women believe about God. This is a big one. God is not enough. How do you see this manifesting itself in the lives of some of the women that you've talked to and minister to? Well, let me just say, first of all, most of us wouldn't consciously, actively say God isn't enough, or we don't think we believe God isn't enough. But when you look at the way we live, what we cling to, what we long for, what we will sin to get, um, we really believe, well, we need God, but we need God plus in order to be happy, in order to be satisfied. We need God plus a husband. We need God plus children, or well-behaved children, or a husband who loves me and treats me right. I need God plus more money or more of this or less of that. Um, I need God, but, but, I, but I can't. I, I need to have a pain-free life, too. Um, I need health. I need, and, you know, these things are good gifts. And when God gives them to us, we ought to be grateful. Nothing wrong with asking God for a husband or asking God for a child, pleading with God. But I'll tell you, there's a fine line between pleading with God, praying, asking God for one of his good gifts, and demanding that God give us this or saying, I can't be content, I can't be fulfilled unless I have this. And it's just amazing, you know, we're so prone to want what we don't have or to not want what we do have in the big and little things of life. And when it comes to, you know, relationships, to pain, to suffering, um, I've you know, I've seen some, I have friends right now who are walking through major health issues, major issues with a prodigal child. And these things can become such idols in our lives. And I think the joy and the contentment and the rest comes when we can say, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't understand your wisdom in why you would have scripted my life like this, why I'm going through this right now. It's, I, I can't figure it out. But I trust you to write my story, and I trust that you are good, and I trust that what you have given me is enough for me to be content and to have joy just having you in this season. And so it can be big things, it can be little things, uh, but every day there's this temptation to be discontent or to think if my life were just different in some way, then I would be happier. And what we're really believing is a lie about God 
that God isn't interested in what really matters to us. He's not interested in our best interests or having him, having Christ, having the gospel is not enough for my present and future peace and happiness. So again, it's not a conscious lie necessarily, but it's one that when you burrow down to what's going under, you know, on our hearts underneath the surface, I think that's sometimes what we find. Oh, we do. That's very, very common. And you think of somebody, for example, who's lost a child. I've seen this sometimes, and it's just, it breaks your heart to see this. If God really had loved me, he wouldn't have taken my child. That child wouldn't have been stillborn or what, and, and your heart breaks for that person. But isn't that to some extent, emotion overriding truth, not to be harsh about it, but that person really not understanding the true character of God? Well, we don't understand the true character of God, which is so foundational, but we also don't understand His ways. And that's why there's a whole chapter in this book on lies we believe about circumstances, such as, you know, really deeply painful things, the loss of a child, the loss of health, the loss of a mate. And we have a God who cares, who weeps with us, who enters into our sorrows, but He also has His ways uh, teach us that suffering, if we receive it as from His hand, is redemptive. Mm-hmm. It's purifying. It makes, us, it, it, it makes us release our grip on this present earth and attaches our hearts more firmly to eternity and to heaven. It, it makes us more like Jesus, who came to this earth and suffered for the salvation of the world. Uh, so we, we have to step back beyond our circumstances, beyond the pain. Um, it's, it's not wrong to hurt. It's not wrong to weep. We ought to weep with others who weep. But to see that God has beautiful, amazing, redemptive purposes in even the most awful things that take place in our lives or on this earth. That's exactly right. Well, you had mentioned before all of the things that have shifted over the years since you first released the initial edition of Lies Women Believe. One of the areas that you've added to, I know, is this issue of sexuality. And so much has changed since 2001 in that regard. You know, we now have a redefinition of marriage from the Supreme Court. We have all this transgender madness. You have people saying, I feel like a man. Am I a man? Am I a woman? What What sorts of issues do you think women believe as far as lies about sexuality? What are some of the big ones? Well, there are big ones that are in our culture and in the minds of those who don't accept God or His ways. But I've written this book even more for women who do claim to know Christ or to, you know, have some sort of faith and say, you know, I believe the Bible. There are lies we believe about sexuality. Um, For example, women struggling with sexual issues, with sexual addictions, which used to be more a men's issue, with sexual dysfunction in their marriage, uh, lack of desire on their part or their husband's desire, lack of intimacy. And one of the lies is, I can't tell anyone. Hmm. I can't tell anyone I struggle with this temptation. Uh, So many women feeling that they are alone in this sexual struggle or that my sexuality is separate from my spirituality. Hmm. Like I've got my faith part of my life, my Christian part of my life, and then there's my sexual life. And one of the things we need to realize as we go to Scripture is that God created us as sexual beings, and that He has put us in relationship, in community, that we need each other, that freedom often comes from the willingness to to share our struggle. Of course, I don't mean just talking to everybody about everything personal or intimate in our lives, but I would say to many women who are struggling with these 
secret temptations or burdens or uh, dysfunctions in their sexual life, things in their past, things in their present, you need to find a trusted woman, mature woman of God that you can open your heart to and and find grace and freedom, and somebody will help point you to biblical ways of thinking. Your sexuality, our sexuality, is not separate from our Christian walk or our Christian faith. Um, I think today there's a big sense that God's standards for sexuality, they're out of date. Um, And you see this in the church. It's so, so common in the church today for unmarried people to be living together, um, to be having um, heterosexual and homosexual relationships and thinking this is okay. Um, You know, what it says in the Bible, that's just you know, that was for then, this is now, God's standards have changed or they're not applicable to today. And you can see this in books being published by Christian publishers, Christian authors, so yes. uh, supposedly. And I think to go and realize that, you know, if you go back to God's Word, God's standards were never in vogue. They were never the in thing, right. but they've always been not only right and true, but God's standards about sexuality, about male and female and, and moral um, chastity and purity, these standards are not only true and right, but they're also good and they're beautiful and they have our best. This is how the creation can flourish and best function if we're willing to accept God's way and say, yes, Lord, I embrace what you have made me and what you have designed to be true for my sexual life. Oh, that's really well said. Well, you know, I, I honed in, and this kind of goes along with the, in the summation of the entire discussion. When you talk about the lies women believe about priorities, one of the things that people sometimes believe, women sometimes believe, is that I can thrive without consistent time in the Word and prayer. And I thought that really is the cure in many respects to all the lies that you mention in the book. Yes. If, if you are renewing your mind, as Romans yes. chapter 12 tells us, you are daily in the word, you are spending time with the Lord, you are spending time with other Christians who are sharpening, you know, iron sharpening iron, you would be less likely, would you not, to fall into some of these lies? Well, you got to know the truth. The only way you can know the truth is by living in the truth. Christ is the truth. His word is the truth. Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. That's what cleanses us. That's what renews our minds. So yes, if we're not saturating our minds in the word of God, in the scripture, if we're not reading it, meditating on it, memorizing it, praying it back to God, then we're not going to even know what is truth. Right. And then when we are tempted, we're not going to have, when we're tempted to disobey God, we're not going to have the power or the grace to resist the temptation. When we blow it and we give into the temptation, when we sin, we're not going to know how to get healing and grace and forgiveness um, apart from God's Word washing us. And here's the thing, Janet, I think previous generations... And I don't always like to say like it was so great in the good old days because there were challenges then too. But never before has a generation had so much external input coming into our minds. You know, it wasn't until the early 1900s, maybe the mid-1900s, that you could have noise around you all the time. Um, that you could never get quiet. And so we're not readers anymore. We're not thinkers. We're, and I, and I'm guilty. Um, you know, it's this thing in my hand all the time that's connected digitally to my phone and my apps and my, and it's made us 
so fragmented. Um, and so, it, you know, we're bored to open the Bible and just read it. That's, right. that's not fascinating to us anymore, but that's where we need to sometimes turn off the clutter, turn off the TV, shut down my laptop. I hate to say it, turn off the radio um, and and just get alone with God and His Word so our souls are getting fed. And I'm as yep. guilty of falling into these busyness traps as anybody, but I know it's so deadly for me. I just lose my moorings. I lose my sense of connection with the Lord. He's not losing me, but I'm losing my sense of and my ability to hear his voice. That's right. That's right. Well, Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth, her book, Lies Women Believe. Thank you so much, Nancy. This Janet Mefford Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to persecuted Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible, $35 sends seven. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. We are back on Janet Mefford Today. The Lord Jesus Christ told us in Matthew 5, we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and we are to live for him and proclaim him in the midst of a fallen world. That has never been more true than it is now as we see cultural decay all around us. My next guest says what we really need is a strategy firmly rooted in the word of God. So joining me now is speaker and blogger Michael Anthony. He is founder and president of God Factor and the National Week of Repentance and also lead pastor of Grace Fellowship in York, Pennsylvania. And today we'll be talking about his book, A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. Michael, it's wonderful to have you here. How are you? Janet, it's great to be your guest. That's a real privilege, and I'm doing well. Hello to your listener audience as well. Well, great to have you here, Michael. I'm glad that you were able to join us. So you have some thoughts on what ails us, as I know from your book. And one of the things you say is the primary reason America is burning, as you say it is, because we've neglected the documents and principles that have made us who we were and who we are. But it's happening at the same time that we're becoming ignorant and even hostile to the Bible. What do you make of that deadly combination? I think it's a downward spiral, and the light at the end of the tunnel needs to be Jesus, not a train. It's going to be, it's, this is not going to end well for our nation if people of faith continue to allow themselves to be marginalized, and, and marginalize themselves. It's not just that we're letting ourselves be marginalized. We marginalize ourselves. We have to stop waiting for the rapture and the return of Jesus Christ. Those things are certain, I believe, okay? Yes. Yep. Many of your listeners believe. And we need to start living like salt and light, which saturates and penetrates whatever environment it's in. We seem to have lost that as our marching orders from Jesus, Janet. Yeah, and you know, I see this all the time when I speak to people. They'll say, well, I know it's horrible out there, but that's what's going to happen in the end times. And I always say to them, do you know there were a lot of Christians during World War II who said things like that about Mussolini and Hitler and Stalin because they thought the end times had come and they didn't need to do anything. What if they had taken that attitude? And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying we're in a Hitler-Stalin situation at the moment, Mm -hmm. but this idea that if things are bad, I should give up rather than saying, I need to really double down as a Christian and make a difference. Absolutely. This is actually one of the things I address in A Call for Courage, that if the apathy that exists today were present during World War II, we would be speaking German 
or Japanese or Italian with far worse consequences. See, people think about, Christians tend to think about um, the rapture, you know, it's a sign of the times, things are getting worse, it's happening just the way Jesus said. So we we then adopt the defensive posture, occupy until he comes. Occupy until he comes sounds really spiritual until you take it with what the Bible says. We're not called to occupy and hold on for dear life and wait for a divine bailout. We are called to saturate, salt saturates, and light permeates. We are called to go into culture and to change the culture. What about our love for our neighbor? Are we just waiting for the return of Jesus so that we get the divine bailout, regardless of what happens to our neighbor? Get out there, people, and share the gospel and live the gospel while we still have time. Saturate, permeate. That's great. I, you think of the apostles. Who would have had a better excuse than they to say, mm-hmm. well, the end times are here <laughs> and we're just going to give up? No, I mean, and they lived in far more dangerous times than we do. Absolutely. And, you know, if we don't start to stand up and speak out and push against the tide of, I don't really want to say persecution because we're not anywhere near to what other countries are, are facing right now. But if we don't stand up and speak out with what's happening now, which is a cakewalk in comparison we're guaranteeing the day where all-out blatant persecution is going to be a reality in our country. I agree with that. I agree with that. I, I think we're seeing the signs of some very soft persecution, things pertaining to our yes. speech or social media shutdown or something like that. Mm-hmm. Why do you think we are seeing so many Christians opting out and giving up and saying, eh, I don't really feel like getting involved? What is ailing us? I think there are a couple of things. I think, number one, we're distracted. Uh, I think that there are other pursuits that, uh, you know, we think about the parable of, of the, um, the, the, the sower and the seed. There are things that have choked off our fruitfulness, the worries, the cares of this world, number yeah. one. Number two, we're uh, fatigued with media information. We get news stories today that years ago would be the news of the day for weeks, and yeah. now something comes and it goes by the end of the day. It's no longer a big news story. So we're fatigued. And number three, I think we we have confused knowledge for application of biblical truth. Hmm. There were 6,000 Pharisees in Jesus' day. Not one of them was chosen to be among the 12 apostles. That's right. Now, we know that the apostle Paul was chosen to to be an apostle, and he was a Pharisee. But if there were 6,000 in Jesus' day, and they, they knew their Old Testament inside and out, I think today the average evangelical, and I am one, okay, I'm a pastor, I think the average evangelical leader has confused knowledge of the Bible with application of the Bible, and they're not the same. I agree with you. And and when that happens, it trickles down to the sheep, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah. It really does. When you're talking about that, I'd love to hear some of your ideas specifically about what we need to hear from the pulpit at a time like mm-hmm. this. Well, thank you for asking me that. You know, George Barna, who wrote the foreword for the book, surveyed evangelicals, and he found startling eye-opening, amazingly encouraging news that the average parishioner, the average congregant wants their pastor to talk about the issues of the day and bring the Bible to bear on it. Yes. See, pastors have been deluded. They think that, well, if I talk about this issue or that issue, it's going to be too controversial. Guess what? It's already controversial. Bring the Bible to bear on it. Yep. The pastors need to address issues of, of not just sex and sexuality, and bring, you know, that's not our, our only issue that we should be addressing. We should be issue, issue, uh, addressing the issues like racism, because racism is a sin. There's only one Savior who died for the human race, mm-hmm. Jesus. 
There's not a white Jesus and a black Jesus and an Asian Jesus and a Jap- or Native American Indian Jesus. There's one person, the man Jesus Christ, who died for the sins of the world. So we should talk about racism. Teach your people from the pulpit in Sunday school, in classes, that racism is always wrong. You should help people understand that God created them male and female. In his image, he created them. You should not back down from teaching about a healthy marriage, one man, one woman for one lifetime in a commitment before God. You should, you should help your people understand that hatred, you know, the number one assault weapon of choice in our nation is the tongue. <laughs> yeah. That's the number one assault weapon. So you need yeah. to teach your people how to deal, how to deal with conflict in a godly biblical way. Cause Janet, social media is so antisocial and wh- whether somebody's plugged into it or not, we're all being influenced by antisocial media. We've lost our ability to have conversations with each other. So teach from the pulpit. What does it mean to speak the truth in love? Not just speak the truth, but to do it with love. And not just to talk about love, but to also address it with truth. It's not one or the other. So these are the kinds of things that pastors and church leaders everywhere, need to, we need to get our heads out of our buckets, if I can say that lovingly, <laughs> and start paying attention to what's happening specifically in the news of the day and bring the Bible to bear on it because the Bible is practical. It speaks about every issue known to man. It's very important. And going back to the title of your book, A Call for Courage, this is where it has to begin, right? You have to have men in the pulpit who have the courage to do that. That seems from the Barna statistics to be much of what ails the ministry right now. It does. You think about how our nation came to be, young America, pastors, religious leaders, they were at the forefront, not in the back seats. Right. So if you look at uh, the way American faith, the, the faith of Americans played a key role in not only the founding of this country, but in the formation of our key documents, Constitution, Declaration of Independence, you understand that faith played a central role. Now, there's a, there's a movement today to try to marginalize people of faith, but listen, if you're listening today, stop letting people marginalize you. It's time to stand up and to speak out with truth and love as a follower of Jesus Christ. Lift your head up. Your redemption draws near. But in the meantime, go reach your hand out to your neighbor and get out there in the public square and live for Jesus. Let your light shine so that people see it. That's right. Well, and you've you've said something very important, which is when we have the doubling down, waiting for Jesus to show up mentality, and therefore I'm just going to wait it out, then we're really not loving our neighbor. And that is the second commandment, you know, the greatest commandment that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. And that summarizes all the commandments. Michael Anthony, my guest, we're going to go to a very quick break. We'll come back talking about his book, A Call for Courage. Stay with us on Janet Meffer today. This is Janet Mefford. We're joining with Bible League International, a ministry founded in 1938 to send God's word to Bibleless believers in Asia. Today, you can send a new Christian her very first Bible in her own language and at a level she can understand. Before last year, Malia in Sri Lanka had never heard the name of Jesus. Now she follows him and is determined to share Christ with everyone she meets, even those living in the grips of spiritual darkness who are hostile to the gospel. But she needs her own Bible 
Bible, and you can be the one to center the hope of God's Word. By giving now, you'll also help us meet our shared goal with Bible League of sending 1,200 Bibles to Asia. All it takes is $5, or $100 sends 20 Bibles. Call 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Just look for Fan the Flame, Bibles for Asia. Thank you for caring. Many people in developing nations have no access to desperately needed medical care. That's why Mercy Ships brings volunteers aboard our hospital ship, the Africa Mercy, to give the world's forgotten poor the free medical care they need. We have an immediate need for registered nurses, especially with a pediatric specialty. As a volunteer nurse, you won't just give life-altering health care, you'll receive so much in return. It's an amazingly rewarding experience. You'll give hope and make a difference in the lives of those who have virtually no access to medical aid. It's such a fantastic thing to do. Everybody who I've met on this ship either wants to come back and do it again or they're already here for the second, third, or tenth time. So what are you waiting for? Show mercy to someone today. I would say go for it. Get more information and learn how to apply by visiting mercyships.org forward slash nurses. That's mercyships.org forward slash nurses. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. My guest is speaker and blogger Michael Anthony. He is lead pastor of Grace Fellowship in York, Pennsylvania, and founder and president of God Factor and the National Week of Repentance. His book is called A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. One of the things you talk about in the book, Michael, is religious freedom. And this kind of ties into what we were discussing before we had to go to the break. And that is Christians who are just not willing to get up and to uh, do something about the constant marginalization. And this is one of the main issues that American Christians are facing right now. You have a very uh, strong and vocal group of sexual radicals, the way I like to refer to them, activists, who just don't want to leave any room for the First Amendment to get in the way of their activism. For a lot of Christians, though, they say... These people scare me. I don't want to stand up to them. Uh, I'm just going to sit down and hunker down and hope somebody fights that battle. Why do you right. think the religious freedom battle is so important for every Christian to get on board with and, and to fight? Because as the freedom of religion, the freedom of speech, the freedom of the press, the freedom to assemble, all those things that are protected in the Establishment Clause, the First Amendment to the Constitution, as they go, so goes a free society. We could be America in name only. See, the government cannot now control what you think, what I think, literally, in the recesses of our minds. They cannot control our minds. But if they can limit or restrict what we can teach, then they will be able to affect the ability of future generations to think in what they actually believe. So it's an, an inevitable form of mind control. That's why we need to be concerned about our freedom to teach people all of the teachings of Jesus, which, by the way, is the Great Commission, teaching them to obey everything I commanded, not select portions of what Jesus commanded. So the government that can control freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom to assemble, freedom to, to, to get together, they will be able to affect what future generations actually believe. And then that puts the government 
in direct conflict with the clear teaching of Jesus to teach people everything I commanded. If we can't teach that, people can't believe it, and then we can't present people complete in Christ. Big problem. Yeah, huge problem. So, Michael, let me ask you this. I have noticed uh, across the evangelical landscape that it is becoming more and more fashionable to do what I refer to as romanticizing persecution. And it goes a little bit like this. You'll have some of these evangelical leaders or pastors lecturing us and saying things along the lines of, well, you know what? It's really better for the church to lose religious freedom because then it purifies the church and mm-hmm. will become stronger. Don't you want a deeper relationship with right. Jesus? Your faith has to cost you something. And I said, tell that to the church in the Middle East, which is being mm-hmm. wiped out. I mean, I. Mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on this really cavalier attitude about freedom and almost disdaining freedom as some kind of spiritual enemy to our growth in Christ? It seems very weird to me. I think the word you used is perfectly appropriate. It's cavalier. It's, it's, a, it's ridiculous. It's a romanticized notion. Listen, if God can be sovereign and glorified in persecution, why can't he be sovereign and glorified in freedom? Amen. Let's, pull, let's, let's get somebody on your program who's persecuted in China, who that unknown person who's in a six-foot-by-six-foot six concrete cell who is there for only the purpose, only the only reason they're there is because they wanted to just worship Jesus, and they're imprisoned. They're, they're nameless and faceless to us, but not nameless and faceless to Jesus. And they will spend the rest of their life in that prison for no other reason than that they wanted to live freely for Jesus. I bet you, Janet, that if we were by some miraculous means able to interview them, they would say to Americans right now, please do all that you can to preserve your religious freedom while you can. Yeah or this could be your lot. And we do those people, those suffering souls, such a tremendous disservice. And I think it's shallow thinking on the parts of theologians and pastors, and and I am one. I say that respectfully, but somebody needs to say it. We're at a crossroads in our nation. It's shallow thinking that drops back and punts and puts all the responsibility on God when God has given us responsibility to be salt and light. When persecution comes, if it comes, God will be sovereign. But in the meantime, I have a moral, spiritual, God-given obligation to stand up and speak out in a sit-down-and-shut-up world. They said, the apostle said, we must obey God rather than man. Why is that not our mantra today anymore? Because we're more concerned about popularity with people than we are in faithfulness to God. Sadly, I think you're right about that. And and when you consider the history of the United States in terms of our our ability to be the greatest nation to send out missionaries across the world, we would never have been able to do that were it not for our religious freedom. And I just, right. I look at that and I try to bring that up to people and they say, well, our time has passed. I thought, even the Apostle Paul stood up for his rights as a Roman citizen. They act as Absolutely. if it's sinful to stand up for the rights that you have as a citizen of this country. Yes. Well, I think you, you your situation that you just described with your interactions with people the average Christian today confuses fatalism with faith. Yeah. Que sera, sera. What will be, will be. There's right. nothing we can do about it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Is that the attitude of people in the Bible? They didn't have whatever would be, would be uh, a- attitude. They had the attitude of, listen, I'm going to follow Jesus. You can throw me into this lion's den. You can throw us into this fire. And we're, but we're not going to bow down to your God. Yeah. And if God saves us, fantastic. If he doesn't save us, he's still going to be our God. That's right. We look at the Bible today as a book of exceptions, not a book of examples. Mm. 
And if the Bible teaches us anything, it's that when God gets a hold of a person, they become on fire for Jesus Christ, and they will stand up and speak out regardless of what the consequences are. Today, sadly, we are more conditioned. We've been conditioned as a society within the church. We've been conditioned to back off when we get a little bit of pushback. And, and Janet, may God help us, really, if the church is already starting to cave in the face of these little attacks that we're facing, we're guaranteeing the nails in our coffin when it comes to being a free society where we can teach our children and our grandchildren and their children the full counsel of the teachings of Jesus. It's so true. I think about that every single day. If you can't stand up against the minimal, soft tyranny that we're seeing today against Christians, how are you going to make it if it ever becomes full-blown persecution? I know. Terrifying. What do you believe is the strategy? I know that you outline in the book Mm -hmm. what our battle plan ought to be. What can you tell Christians about what we need to be doing right now in in terms of Mm -hmm. having the courage that the Lord wants us to have? Well, this is why I wrote A Call for Courage. It burned on me. I, I wrote the, six, six, the, the first draft. I went to a Pennsylvania cabin, and I wrote it in six days. I was glued to my laptop. I was achy at the end of each day because it really wasn't healthy for me to do. But I was compelled to write it yeah. because I, I listened to talking heads, watched talking heads during 2016. And how so many people would say, and my pastor friends too, the country's in trouble, the country's in trouble, the country's in trouble. We get that. I don't think anybody who's paying attention would disagree with that. The question is, what do we do about it? So I, start, I, I searched the scriptures, spent a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time contemplating, looked at our founding documents as a nation, and the answers are there in scripture and in our founding documents. What we need to do, number one, is we need to settle the issue of who we're going to serve, people or Jesus. Hmm. And that's an issue that needs to be settled again and again throughout the course of the day. You have to make up your, up your mind whether where your objective in life is to either be popular with people or faithful to God. If you haven't settled that issue, and if you don't continually revisit that on a daily basis, you're going to be blown about and tossed like the wind, like, like the waves. So number one, you have to do that. Number two, you have to stop reading the Bible as a book of exceptions when it comes to what it looks like to live as a person of faith. We love these stories about Gideon and the numbers being pared down and David fighting Goliath. But then we walk away and and those stories are just relegated to our daily job, our our home situation. Well, what about in the case of what's happening in the nation? Right. You know, I talk about in the book, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute did a study where they, they wanted to find out what's the percentage of a population that's needed? What's the tipping point? to change the whole view of the majority of the population. And most of us, we tend to think, well, it's probably 51% when you reach more than 51%. It's not anywhere near that. It's not 40%. It's not 30% or even 20%. They found that it's only 10% of the population, Janet. Mm. When 10% of the population adamantly believes something, they have the power. It becomes the tipping point, that moment when they then, then change the view of the rest of the majority. And we saw that with some of the radical views of the, the overwhelming minority of people who changed fundamental beliefs in our nation recently. Yes. And, and I want your listeners to think about it and to be, be encouraged that we have far more than that many people in the United States who identify as Christians, but we need to start putting our money where our mouth is. We oh, need to yeah. start 
living that faith. That is so true. I couldn't agree more. Michael Anthony's book is called A Call for Courage. We're unfortunately out of time, but so great to have you here, Michael. Really, really fun to talk to you. Janet, what a pleasure. Appreciate your being with us. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for being with us here on Janet Mefford Today. We'll see you next time. God bless. This hour of Janet Mefford Today was brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD. Thank you so much.